The tour content from now through Lagwa Omer has been generously sponsored by Malki M. Thank you, Malki. June is less than a month away, which means that I'll soon be transitioning into summer writing mode with more Substack articles and fewer recorded shiurim. The bulk of these articles will remain free. However, if you would like to support my Torah and gain access to additional spicy written content, consider becoming a paid subscriber by going to rabbishneweis.substack.com and signing up today. Hello, I'm Rabbi Matt Schneeweiss, and this is the audio version of the article I published on my blog, Kol Hasridim, on July 26, 2021. And the article is entitled, Taking the Road Less Traveled in Learning. And this is not a one-page article, because I wrote this at the very beginning of the summer, during my sacred pause, before I had come up with a plan of writing one-page articles for the summer. So, you get three pages. <laughs> All right, Taking the Road Less Traveled in Learning. And uh, as a footnote here, uh, yes, I am aware of the source of this idiom and the fact that it is regarded as a misquote or misunderstanding, but it's a good title nonetheless, in my opinion. Uh, here we go. The Abravanel's Lonely Quest. In his introduction to Sefer Shmuel, the Abravanel raises a powerful question about Sefer Divrei Hayamim, the Book of Chronicles. What exactly was Ezra HaSofer's plan in composing this Sefer? He subdivides this question into two perplexities. A. Why did Ezra include some of the events and episodes from David HaMelech's life but omit others? B. Why did Ezra repeat material from Sefer Shmuel and Sefer Malachim, much of it verbatim? What intrigues me about this passage is not the Abravanel's question or his answers, but the thoughts and feelings he expresses about his relationship to the question and his quest for answers. Here is the relevant excerpt, which I've divided into three paragraphs, which obviously you cannot hear on the, uh, on the audio. Uh, quote from the Abravanel. These are the perplexities that have arisen from this powerful question. Regarding the quest for the answer and the resolution of these doubts, behold, I remain alone and no one has worked with me on these matters. On this subject, I have found nothing, minor or major, good or bad, from our sages of blessed memory, not from the early Talmudic sages, nor from the later authors or commentators. Not even one of them has, was bestirred by this perplexity at all, nor did any of them pave the way for its answer. Behold, Hashem has added grief to my pain. For we do not have with us in this land a commentary on Sefer Divir Hayamim, except for the few matters authored by the Radak of Blessed Memory, which are nullified in their minuteness, which are Batalim Bemutan, and he did, didn't investigate deeply at all. Moreover, this book of Divir Hayamim is not commonplace among the Jews in their Midrashim. Today I will recall my sin, that's Eschatai An Animaz Kir Hayom, for never in my days had I read it, nor had I investigated its contents for the duration of my existence until now, and nothing has remained for me but the force of my reasoning and my intellectual intuition about the pshat, the straightforward meaning of the psukim, and with the help of God who has girded me with success and made my wholesome path. Sorry, and the help of God who has girded me with my with success and made wholesome my path. End quote from the Abravanel. Rarely do we see the classical Mepharshim commentators engage in such metacognitive commentary, reflecting on their own learning experiences and their feelings about them. When I read this, sorry, when I read this, I was moved by my own similar experience, so much so that I decided to write my own reflections on the three points raised by the Abravanel as they pertain to my own teaching and learning. I don't know whether anyone will find these reflections to be enlightening or beneficial, but I felt the need to express them. Uh, point number one, answering questions that haven't been asked. The Abravanel begins by voicing his astonishment over the fact that his questions weren't raised by any of his predecessors. To those who are familiar with the Abravanel and his intellectual fearlessness, it won't come as a surprise that he wasn't the least bit daunted by the absence of exegetical precedent. In my experience, few intellectual thrills in Torah study compare to the discovery of a major question that none of the traditional commentators have asked. 
True, the unanimous silence can sometimes make one wonder whether the question is founded on a mistaken premise, but more often than not, the question is so clear and powerful as to be undeniable, and the fact that none of the, of the Mepharshim has raised it is a question on them, not a cause for self-doubt. The thrill I experience has nothing to do with being the first to discover something. Uh, yes, let me read that again. The thrill I experience has nothing to do with being the first to discover something. It's the thrill of freshly fallen snow, the awakened creative energy felt upon finding a new source of inspiration, the excitement before opening the first pack in the Magic of the Gathering booster draft. It has nothing to do with ego or accomplishment and everything to do with adventure. Michelet has provided me with some excellent practice in this regard. Because the psukim are so cryptically worded, and because the commentators take such diverse approaches, it's not uncommon to see a later commentator bothered by a question that earlier commentators neglected to address. When I teach Michelet, I always require my students to come up with every question they can think of, no matter how minor it seems. When we survey the commentaries, we typically find that most of the questions are addressed in some form or another. And if any of them aren't, I remind my students that before these commentaries were written, then none of the questions were addressed, and that doesn't make the questions any less real or valuable. While I don't go out of my way to look for such unasked questions, I am always delighted to encounter them in my learning. And even if I can't answer them, my mind is inevitably enriched by their discovery. Point number two, learning without the aid of commentaries. The Bravanel then goes on to bemoan the woeful state of Divra Hayamim commentaries. Thankfully, this isn't a problem I encounter much in my own learning. Most of the texts I learn on a regular basis have enough commentaries to provide me with the guidance I need. There are two exceptions, however. Midrash Agada, the homiletical interpretations and non-legalistic teachings of Chazal, as found in the Talmud and in the collections of Midrashim, and the Nusachat Fila, the liturgy, including Piyutim, liturgical poems, Slichos, supplicatory penitential prayers, and Kinos, lamentations. It's true that there are commentaries out there on these genres and subgenres, but unlike the commentaries on the texts of Torah Bechsav, the written Torah, and Torah Balpeh, the oral Torah, and Talmud, I find that these commentaries often fail to provide me with the answers, elucidations, and direction I'm looking for. This leaves me in a similar situation to the one described by the Abravanel. No commentaries except for a few that I don't investigate on a deep level enough and are Batal B'Mutan. Oh, sorry. No commentaries except for a few that don't investigate on a deep, deep enough level and are Batal B'Mutan, uh, negated in their minority, which forces me to venture out on my own. Point number three, filling the gaps. The Bravanel concludes by, quote unquote, confessing his sin of never having investigated or even read Sefer Dibra Hayamim until the present time in his life. Interestingly enough, this is what led me to start learning Sefer Shmuel in the first place, which led me to the Bravanel's comments. I began my formal Jewish education in 11th grade at the Aleph Bays level. I spent the next several years playing catch up in an effort to compensate for the years of Jewish education I had missed out on as a child. Although I'm certainly happy with how far I've come, there are still major gaps in my learning. One of those gaps is Nevim Rishonim, i.e. Yehoshua, Shoftim, Shmuel, and Malachim, with the exception of the second half of Malachim II, which I taught in uh, for a number of years. What makes this gap even more embarrassing is the fact that most of my students learn these farm at a young age and tend to be fluent in the basic stories in characters. After years of asking my high school students to summarize famous episodes in the lives of Shmuel, Shaol, and David HaMelech, and after repeatedly finding myself impeded by my own ignorance of, in my learning of Sefer Tehillim, I finally decided to do tshuva and start learning Sefer Shmuel. There is an advantage of learning something like Sefer Shmuel or Sefer Divir Hayamim for the first time at a later than normal age, an advantage which is alluded to by the Bravanel, although it wasn't necessarily his intent to make this point. He writes that his study of Sefer Divir Hayamim would be guided by, quote, nothing but the force of my reasoning and my intellectual intuition about the pshat of the psukim, end quote. Unlike his analysis of the other books of Tanakh, which was undertaken at a much earlier age and was likely influenced by many other teachers and other commentaries, the Abravanel's learning of Divir Hayamim commenced at a more intellectually mature age. 
As such, it was led by his honed intuition and uninfluenced by external biases, at least as uninfluenced as any of us can be. Similarly, although I don't share with my students and peers the advantage of having been raised with the stories in Sefer Shmuel, I do have an opportunity that they didn't have to learn through the text for the first time with the advantage of 20 years of serious learning, teaching, and personal development under my belt. This will allow me to see things that I might not have otherwise seen. Concluding thoughts. I have been obsessed with methodology and metacognition for as long as I have been involved in learning. Perhaps because of this, I find this Abravanel more interesting than most. As a teacher, I strongly feel that students derive tremendous benefits from hearing their teachers speak in this manner about their own learning processes and their relationship to learning. I'm sure I'm not the only one who has, over the course of his learning, wondered, do I have to figure this out alone? The more, comf the more comfortable teachers feel to discuss their own learning-related doubts, anxieties, and to use Abravanel's phrase, sins, the more, uh, and by that he means learning-related sins, like not learning uh, the safer, the more their students can benefit by learning from their experiences. If you've gained from what you've learned here today, please consider contributing to my Patreon at www.patreon.com slash Alternatively, if you would like to make a direct contribution to the Rabbi Schneeweiss Torah Content Fund, my Venmo is at matt-schneeweiss, and my Zelle slash Chase QuickPay and PayPal are mattschneeweiss at gmail.com. Even a small contribution goes a long way to covering the cost of my podcast and will provide me with the financial freedom to produce even more Torah content for you. If you would like to sponsor an article, share, or podcast episode, or if you are interested in enlisting my services as a teacher or tutor, you can reach me at rabbischneeweiss at gmail.com. Thank you to my listeners for listening. Thank you to my readers for reading, and thank you to my supporters for supporting my efforts to make Torah ideas available and accessible to everyone.